Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Hello, and welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. I am your host, Brian Bennis, and today's topic is margin protection. We're going to talk about margin protection as far as how it works, but more importantly, some considerations about establishing insurance coverage here in September versus in March. And so with that, I have a couple of guests with me today to help that conversation. One uh, is Ken Ripley. Ken Ripley is a regional sales manager for Farmers Mutual Hale, and he has been on the podcast a time or two. Say hello, Ken. Hello, everyone. Always great to be back with you, Ryan. Perfect. Perfect. And then a little later on, we're going to bring in Jake Moline. Jake is a risk management consultant with Stone X. Happens to also be a good friend of mine. Jake, say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, no problem. So Jake's going to help guide us in the conversation in terms of talking about where the markets are today and you know some of the risks we face between now and February when we think of traditionally locking in crop insurance for the coming crop insurance year. Ken, you are the lucky draw here. I am going to ask you to give me your best one to two minute uh, introduction explanation as to what margin protection is. And then we're going to pick it apart a little bit, but give us your best shot. If you're talking to somebody for the first time, what is margin protection? Hey, that's a great question, Ryan. And I'll try to keep it in your timeline there. Um, so yeah, it's a 95% area-based policy that provides both yield and price protection. Uh, but the thing that probably makes it more unique than any other product out there that we have is it also includes some inputs, uh, how those move from fall price or this price discovery we're in right now until April. And uh, so provides, and that's why they call it margin protection. We're truly looking at the profit or the margin that the uh, farmers are trying to ensure. Perfect. That's great, Ken. That's good. And I'll just add in a couple of extra notes just so everybody is very clear. Margin protection is a federally reinsured uh, insurance product. So all of your approved insurance providers, just like Farmers Mutual Hail, are, are able to sell margin protection. It also means that it is subsidized by the government. So, um, And just an FYI, that subsidy is around 50% depending on whether what kind of uh, plan you choose. So um, with that said, we're buying it now, as you mentioned, Ken, but can you buy margin protection by itself? And, and should we do such a thing? Yeah, it's a great question. And the answer is yes, you can buy it by yourself, but we definitely would highly encourage you to buy it in conjunction with an RP uh, policy. Reason being, some of the things you don't get with margin protection would be replant, and you don't have a prevent plant type coverages with margin protection. And since it's an area-based plan, you're putting all your eggs into a county basket if you go all in on this product. And that's another reason, as we see, especially in 2021, there's a lot of variability in crops within these counties. So it's always good to have some of that individual component, which should underlie and actually ends up giving some credit or some offsets, which we'll talk about later here in this podcast that, that come into play with the overlaps in coverage. Now, that's a great explanation there, Ken, but I think it does beg the question, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to buy 
my RP plan, what is it that I'm actually getting in addition to my RP plan by buying margin protection? And essentially, what additional coverages am I getting by having both? And I think there's really three, and I'll name them here, but we're going to hit each one of them. We're going to go through them. But number one is input pricing, which you mentioned, Ken. So there's a little protection there against those inputs increasing significantly. Um, there's also a function where the policy changes its uh, claim payout if those inputs are decreasing. Secondly, a higher coverage level. So we can only get 85% level with a regular RP policy. Margin protection goes up to 95. And then three is probably the biggest one, which we'll talk about more. And that's when we really need to bring in Jake, is a third price. So we get to price our 22 crop insurance right now through margin protection. And that would be the third price in line with the spring price and harvest price of our traditional revenue protection policies. So Ken, go ahead and give us a little bit more explanation about what the input pricing protection is um, and maybe some examples of, of what's happened recently. So great question. Yeah. So input portion of it, um, and it's definitely one that uh, probably creates the most confusion or complexity to the product. Uh, so we're looking at this, let's just talk about corn. So with corn, we're going to be tracking uh, DAP, potash, urea, diesel, and interest are the variable expenses that are part of the input. There's a fixed expense that's the same across the whole nation. The items I just mentioned are going to vary based on your county's expected yield, and you're going to get a percentage of that that drives. So we look at a fall price discovery right now on those inputs, and then we see how they compare either in April of next year or all the way to our fall discovery, especially with like products like interest and, and diesel. Uh, the other ones um, have a April discovery to determine if those prices went up or down. So why I say it's kind of the confusing piece is, in reality, it, no, it doesn't always have a huge impact to the product itself. And why I say that is in 2021, uh, we went from a fall price on those inputs to a spring. And some of them, for example, DAP went up 66%, urea went up 40%, diesel 43%, interest barely up a point. So some major changes. But on corn overall, that uh, only increase the trigger on the yield portion of this product if we use a 550 fall price. And that's just what we're kind of tracking right now. It moved the dial just over seven, seven and a half bushels to the acre for increasing a trigger. Starting in 2021, prices we're at right now are up from that, from the April price discovery. The biggest one being potash, that price is currently up 85% from last April. And that number doesn't change. Potash stays the same as it is with the fall, as it was, as it, as it does to the spring. But those inputs have moved higher um, due to supply, and our retailers are saying that that's probably going to hold true through the spring. So I don't know if we're going to see as much movement from now till April, which can kind of take some of the inputs, add a lot of complexity to the product, but they really don't move the dial that much. Like I mentioned before, seven seven to seven and a half bushels on corn, beans only one up a bushel with that. So the reality is they're probably more of a detractor than a, than a bigger portion of the policy. Uh, no, that, exactly. I would agree 100% with you there, Ken. I would also add that for those inputs, just to be clear, if they're going higher from fall to next April, that is actually going to increase our trigger. If they're going lower, 
it's actually going to decrease our trigger. So it can go both ways. That input pricing protection is not a one-way street. It can actually hurt our chances for a claim payment as well. So in 2022, although there's tons of volatility and we don't know what those prices are going to do uh, to next April, they could easily come down as well as go up. So either way, though, to your point, it's just not a huge deal breaker on this. And the bigger key is that we get a third price and 95% level, which is the next one on my list here, which is a higher level of coverage. And so I'll just talk to that very briefly, but you can only get up to 85% with your individual plan. Margin protection allows you to go up to 95%. And of course, it's still subsidized at a pretty high percentage. The producer then or the farmer is adding 10% to their total coverage with margin protection, which is above their current level. Um, we'll talk about how those two interact here in a little bit, but of course, it's just a layer of coverage above what you can get on an individual plan. You can never go over 85 on an individual plan, at least through a subsidized product. But probably the most important part, the most interesting thing with margin protection that we're getting by adding it to our current RP plan is this third price. So Ken, talk a little bit about, about the third price that we're getting. Yeah, so that is definitely the most intriguing piece or the most inviting portion of the margin policy. So we have a price discovery for the inputs we just talked about and the uh, the crops themselves that started uh, this year, August 16th, and go all the way through September 15th. So we're getting that third price discovery. So just to give you a little idea, so you know, as of the day we're taping it here, we're looking at, I'm giving you numbers based on August 27th, corn was tracking at $5.11. Soybeans were tracking at 12.57 and wheat was tracking at 7.78. Significant increases over what we saw a year ago with this product. So, hey, if you like $5 corn, this is a very good component of the margin policy and is definitely something that makes you want to take a peek at the margin policy. Great, great numbers there. And I will add that it is spring wheat only that yeah. is available for uh, margin protection, not our, our traditional fall wheat. Okay, so now Ken, we've kind of hinted at this before, but can you give us a breakdown of how margin protection works with an RP policy? Uh, there's a discount involved, but there's also payment offsets. Help explain that to our listeners. Yeah, so great question. So the uh, margin itself, if you buy it in conjunction with the multi-parallel policy, obviously with a 95 to zero plan with margin protection and you buy, let's say an 80% RP policy, you have an overlap of coverages in there. And for that reason, you're going to get a credit towards your margin protection policy because of that overlap in coverages. So for example, I ran, I, and as you may remember from prior podcasts, I farm in Southern Minnesota. So I've taken a look at my personal policy if for Fairbolt County, Minnesota. So for 2022, um, our expected yield is uh, uh, 204.9 bushels of corn, which is a very good number. If I buy margin by itself and only margin, I'm going to pay roughly uh, without a harvest price option, I'm going to pay $48.54 for that with a 95-100 policy. But when I put in an RP and, and do the estimation on our premium credits, that's going to take another $15.78 off that policy for those overlapping coverages between the RP and the MP policy, bringing my margin costs down to just a little over $41 from our, my farm. Now, having said that, that's going to vary across the whole nation. So everybody's got to look differently and see how your overlaps are. 
And again, I was quoting an 80% underlying multi-apparel, not an 85, because that's what my I had for the 2021 crop. Soybeans is similar, uh, actually a little bit less for my farm. Uh, Faribault County, 58 bushels to the acre is the expected county yield for, for soybeans. And if I bought that without a 80% underlying MP or RP policy, I would have a, about $22.11 is what that policy would be without a harvest price. But if I add in the credit of the overlapping coverages, that takes me down to $14.40. So that's given me that $12.57 price with a, a county expected yield of 58 bushels to the acre. So good numbers for my area. And again, you get an offset for those for those overlap of coverages. Oh, that's great, Ken. And one thing I picked out of there that we hadn't touched on yet was that you can buy margin protection with or without the harvest price. If we drop that harvest price, essentially margin protection works like an RPHPE policy, which is kind of a dirty word when it comes to crop insurance is RPHPE. Now, that being the case, if you're buying an RP plan, it still has that harvest price. So from an individual's perspective, if I have both margin and my underlying policy, I'm going to get that harvest price through my RP plan. It's just going to be at a lower level. Um, the advantage of dropping the harvest price option with margin protection is, of course, a savings to the premium. And if we're expecting prices to fall between now and next fall, <laughs> um, we're going to actually have those two policies work exactly the same. When the price goes down and you drop the harvest price, those policies work exactly the same. So I heard you say that and it wasn't in our, in our uh, notes here, but I wanted yeah. to make sure that we were clear on that. So, yeah, it's definitely critical to point out too. One of the things that you talked about before this third price discovery, the critical thing about that is if you like this price and you want to lock it in, that's one of the advantages of margin protection. If you don't like this price, maybe we, you look at the spring offering of ECO. If you feel it's going to stay the same or go higher, you're going to get a 95% policy there. But uh, I know we'll be talking about more about that here in a few minutes. Yeah, no, actually, that's a great lead in, Ken just because I wanted to take a second to, to compare those two. As you mentioned, ECO is, is an alternative to margin protection. However, we have to wait for that. Uh, ECO will not become available until this coming spring, and we won't price ECO out until the spring. And there are some differences between the two. So I'm going to quickly run through the differences between ECO and margin protection. Let's talk about the similarities though first, actually. So they're both 95% area coverage up to 95%. Uh, they have the same subsidies and you're allowed to keep your underlying policy. So those are the three similarities between the two. Now, some of the differences, uh, margin protection obviously includes that input cost risk that we talked about. The liability for margin protection is actually the entire crop or 95% of your expected yield with whichever protection factor you've, you've plugged in there versus ECO is only going to be 4 or 9% of your total liability. There's no payment offset though with ECO. So if you get a full ECO payment, it doesn't matter how much you got paid under your underlying policy, you're going to get that full ECO payment. Margin protection, it does matter how much you got paid under your RP plan. Um, when it comes to how much dollars, how many more dollars you have coming from margin protection. Uh, margin does allow that choice of whether you keep the harvest price on or off. 
It does not matter what your underlying policy is, whether it's an RP plan, YP, et cetera. Uh, ECO, however, they must match. So if I choose an RP underlying plan, I'm also going to have ECO on a revenue protection basis. And then the biggest one, which is the fall pricing period, which we mentioned already, Ken already gave you some of those prices. I'll repeat them though. Corn was at 511 so far, soybeans at 1265, spring wheat at 778. We're right smack dab in the middle of those prices right now. We're actually recording this on August 30th. And those prices will be locked in for certain on uh, September 15th, September 15th. So we can wait, as Ken mentioned, for that ECO product option in the spring, or we can buy margin protection today with what we believe. I mean, whether you think the prices are going up or down, these are good prices, right? These are great prices, something we haven't experienced a lot of in the last six or seven years. So it does come down to a couple of choices. And thank you so much for waiting patiently, Jake, to join the conversation. But I guess the question that we have, and I know you can't give us your, your, your perfect uh, crystal ball, but what are the, some of the considerations we need to have when we're thinking about grabbing that margin protection uh, insurance right now or waiting until the spring to buy ECO? And we have five or six months of time in between those two. Great question. So as we look at corn and soybean prices today, and you look at where, say, Deese corn is and New Crop 21 and, and New Crop uh, 21 soybeans as well, uh, we're about the 85th percentile of prices when we look at the last 10 years. So when you, you're sitting there as a producer contemplating this question, you have to ask yourself, you know, you're looking at the forward curve and where Deese 22 and Nov 21 are, and, and we're seeing similar, you know, good prices out there in, in new crop 22, you know, these corns at 510 right now, uh, no beans are at about 1250. So there's a, a little bit of an inverse between this fall's prices and next fall's prices, but that shouldn't be preventing us from managing risk because we're still in that kind of upper 80th percentile when it comes to uh, price history. So there's, there's premium in the market that deserves protecting. And when I say premium, I mean, you know, weather premium, not insurance premium. Right. Um, and when we look historically at kind of where uh, these prices have panned out over the last 10 years, uh, you know, August through September is typically not what I would call a prime opportunity to be locking any prices in, okay, when it comes to corn or soybeans. That's typically uh, when a lot of weather premium has been retracted out of the market from, you know, June and July. And we're dealing with somewhat lower prices when it comes to histor historical norms uh, from a seasonal standpoint. However, this year is different, right? We are dealing with much higher prices. And I would say it's, it's more fair to compare this year from an analog perspective to some of the tighter years that we've seen in the last 10 years from a supply demand standpoint, wow. i.e. 2013, 2012. So when you look at kind of just the averages, the averages of whether this kind of pays out or not, right? It's not super typical, I would say, and I think you had some stats on this as well, Ryan, but it's not super typical that the margin protection period is going to outpace the revenue protection period in the spring just because of how the seasonals play out in, in a normal year. In fact, when you look at the, the last 10 years of margin protection price period versus revenue protection price period in the spring, 
the spring price actually outperforms the margin protection price by about six cents on average in the last 10 years. And when you're looking at soybeans, it's 44 cents. So there is a kind of a downward trend seasonally, typically, in these uh, prices into August, September, and then we start to add in some weather premium in the spring. However, when you look at some of the tighter years, like 2013 and 2012, it did pay. It did pay to lock in margin protection. And in fact, uh, in 2013, you were 86 cents better off. In 2012, you were 56 cents better off. In 2014, the, the following uh, year after 13, 47 cents better off. Uh, and in 14 and 13, you were way better off than the, the, the harvest price, obviously. So, sure. you know, on top of promoting margin protection, let's not forget that revenue protection is probably the, the greatest deal under the sun when it comes to risk management plans. Right. No um, doubt. No doubt. So um, I would say just this year, there's more of a case to be made than normal to yes. look at margin protection. And there's different ways to protect prices other than margin protection. But as you mentioned, and Ken mentioned, it is heavily subsidized. And when you compare the cost of margin protection to what it would cost you to go out there on the Chicago Board of Trade and find a short dated new crop option that expires in February, it is about the same cost. Okay. But the thing that you're not getting when you go out there and purchase a short dated new crop option that expires in February to protect yourself over the next five months is that county yield component. So you're basically saying, I'm getting that for free rather than just going out there and buying a short dated new crop option. No, very good point. And that's something we've pointed out as well to both agents and insureds to help illustrate the value that is this subsidized insurance product because trying to do this on the private market uh, is going to be more spendy and there's nothing that protects us against yield um, that we can do on the, on the open market. So a couple of questions for you then, Jake. Obviously, you mentioned how we can protect ourselves between now and February, but what are some of those risks we actually face, price risks that we face between now and February? What is going to move that market? Yeah, uh, the list of things is is obviously unlimited, but there's there's a few bullet points I would I would right. hit on. Uh, you know, first and foremost, we're still kind of in a figuring out our domestic supply situation here. You know, we're quickly going to transition over to a demand market and a South American weather market, but for the moment, yield is still a massive question mark uh, domestically here. Uh, we've we've got a good feel for the acreage, and and you know the June acreage report did not come out as a lot of people expected, including myself. We were expecting to see a larger jump versus March intentions, and there's been some acreage that's disappeared over recent years that I don't know that anyone really has a good answer for. But we've obviously experienced a much drier than normal growing season, especially in the western uh, Corn Belt. The eastern Corn Belt, you know, was wet early, and but it did get dry, especially in Indiana here lately. Uh, and we've gotten some recent rains in August in the Western Corn Belt. So we're, we're still kind of in the mode of trying to figure that out. But as we get more and more comfortable with that, uh, it's going to transition over to domestic demand. And there's a couple big question marks with that this year. One of those being, what is our uh, renewable fuel situation look like? And if you guys have been paying attention to the news and the ag markets here over the past couple of weeks, uh, the EPA has recommended to the White House that uh, we lower the RVO, the renewable volume obligation uh, for RFS, the renewable fuel standard this year and increase it the next year. What that looks like and its effect on corn demand, 
you know, can be debated. I think it's overplayed. I don't think it's going to have a massive effect on corn demand either way this next year. But that along with exports, you know, corn exports are off to a very, very good start when it comes to new crop. Soybeans are more middle of the road at the moment, but the export situation is going to be a big one and, and whether or not prices have to rally to ration uh, export demand. And we're quickly transitioning over to South American weather already. You know, it's, it's just a constant down there. Uh, Brazil is starting to plant their first corn crop, which only accounts for about one fourth of Brazilian corn production. Their, their second crop, the safrina crop, accounts for about 75% of that. But we're expecting big increases in South American acreage in Brazil, up about 5% uh, from last year, just because of the high prices incentivizing that there. Uh, and then money flow is a big one. You, we talk about, or you talked about interest rates as a component of the uh, input pricing component of this margin protection product, right? And interest rates are a, a, a big thing that can affect commodity prices. We've been dealing with a super low interest rate market for a very long time now. And we're finally getting to the point where the Fed is contemplating tapering and, and easing money supply. And even as those few comments that have come out over the last month ha have come out, they have had massive swings on money flow in and out of equities and commodities uh, in general. Uh, so I cannot underplay or overplay uh, the effect that I think uh, monetary policy and interest rates could have on commodities. You know, we talked about commodities entering a super cycle and, you know, energy prices are going to rebound and everything's going to stay high forever. That's since kind of backed off quite a bit uh, since then. But, you know, when we're talking about uh, corn and soybean prices as we work into the spring, the, the main things we've got to, you know, number one is domestic supply and yield. Number two is domestic demand. Number three is South American weather. And number four is just kind of macro money flow. That's great. I'll add number five. And that's when Ken reports his production this fall, because may or may not have a bumper coming. Is that right, Ken? Depends on the day. Hopefully we, we've been very fortunate where I live, but boy, I've been uh, this last week, I was up through North Dakota, South Dakota, parts of Northwest uh, Minnesota and variable is the only way to describe it. And then this past weekend, a major storm moved the, through that area and did some major damage to some crops in that area. So we can't underplay the unknown on the, what is this crop going to be this year? That's, that is, I wish I knew that. That'd make my job as a farmer a lot easier to know what's coming out of my own fields uh, for marketing. Yeah, no, no doubt. Jake, one more question. Yeah, I know this has been a hot topic for producers recently, trying to figure out how and when to lock in those input prices or those input costs. And Ken, feel free to join in on this one as well, because I know you, you have firsthand experience trying to buy those inputs. But what are you hearing about some of those inputs that margin protection covers and some of the risks that we face, whether it be price or even supply risks that we face? Um, over the next few months. Yes. And I am by no means an expert on these input prices. However, we do have an expert within my company. I had a, a quick call with him uh, this morning before our podcast here. And, you know, we're dealing with super high fertilizer prices right now. You look at potash, as Ken mentioned, I believe we're at the highest potash level that we've been since well before 2012. I don't know if it even got that high in 2008. Uh, you look at products like DAP, and urea also dealing with kind of multi-year highs. I believe this is the highest uh, urea price we've seen since 2013. And you look at some of the other 
years where we had the highest urea prices, 2012 and 2008. Okay. The current market we're in today is a little bit different than those years. In those years, we saw prices absolutely collapse into the spring. Okay. Those were demand driven markets in 2008 and 2012. And the market that we're dealing with today is much more supply driven. And we, we have a big supply deficit right now. China is the largest producer of these of fertilizer in the world, and their exports have been very, very low relative to normal. And I would say that in you know, demand-driven markets, eventually the demand dries up and prices collapse. But in supply-driven markets like we're in today, it, it's more of a sustainable rally, in my opinion. So my opinion on fertilizer prices between now and this spring, and I think Ken mentioned this when he was talking to retailers, is I don't expect that same collapse in prices as we saw in 2008 and 2012. And as Ryan mentioned earlier in the podcast, those prices moving lower can actually hurt you with this product. So I think the chance of that happening this year is much lower than those other two years. Yeah, I would add on to that because that's exactly what my local retailers are telling me that these prices you need to lock in. And I've already locked in because they said it's only going to be worse between now and April, just due to supply not even demand, just supply in general is the driver of our current prices. Now, that's excellent information. Um, and just to reiterate, although that is a hot topic, I think that actually will bring some farmers to the table a little bit more to talk about margin protection in addition to this third pricing period that we're getting. But as, as hot of a topic as it is, it really takes very dramatic moves in those input prices to have a significant impact on your claim payment. So just keep that in mind. It is a component, but it is one that doesn't have near as much impact as what those prices do and what those yields end up being in the county. Yeah, probably more so just to your bottom line on, I would say from a risk management standpoint, you know, as Ken mentioned, he's been looking to lock in those prices for the spring, which you can do at a lot of different retailers. There's you know, forward markets available in fertilizer now to hedge financially uh, that gives retailers the opportunity to quote you a forward price. So if you're a farmer sitting out there and your retailer is not offering you a forward price uh, early, start asking those questions and there's ways they can do that. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Just a few takeaways that I hope everybody gets out of this. One is margin protection has that third price. That is the key element to this is that by Purchasing margin protection, you're adding a pricing period, which this very well could be the best price that we see. It very well could be better than both the spring and harvest prices next year. And it may not, but boy, if it's not, you know, that's not the worst case scenario either, because now we're looking at over $5 corn next spring and fall. Um, and who knows what would lead to that. But uh, generally, if prices are higher than where they are today, that's, that's a really good thing. Uh, one other takeaway was just a few of the, the notes that you shared with us there, Jake. Obviously, tons of things can move the market between now and February. Purchasing this or using a short-rated put, basically a wash. So if you want to try and protect yourself between now and February, you know it might be buying margin protection. Or of course, you can sell bushels, but you give up some topside there. And the put also, you give up any you know, upside protection there as well and has no yield element to it. So different ways we can protect ourselves between now and February, but I really hope folks take a, a hard look at it because this is something that you are passing up to wait until spring. Okay, last thing, guys, any parting shots, anything you want to emphasize or 
something to share with us um, before we sign off here? Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, I mean, I just hitting on that alternative. You can go out there and purchase short dated new crop options. Uh, they they have options out there that expire every single month versus new crop corn. And the one that you probably want to look at here is the the March option that expires in February. Uh, in corn, it's a lot more liquid. Okay, it costs about twenty nine cents a bushel for an at the money put. It's about 50, 60 bucks an acre. And like Ken said, I think his price was $48. Is that right, Ken? On the 95, 120? Yes, 48. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, this is even a little more expensive. So uh, take advantage of the, the discount you're getting through this product, in my opinion. And, and in soybeans, it's a similar thing. In fact, it's a little more difficult to actually trade these options at the moment that expire that month for soybeans. There's actually no open interest or volume, because I was trying to look for a quote for you guys and, and it didn't exist. There, there are ways you can do that over the counter and, and we won't get into that today, but um, it's, it's a little harder to do on soybeans, I would say, when you're looking at the Chicago Board of Trade. So go ahead, Ken. Yeah, I guess bouncing off what Jake said there too. So there's no question as we look at these prices, this is not a low cost product, but I think in general, we got to remember between now and February or March, when we're making our spring decisions, 95% policies are going to definitely be expensive. Doesn't matter if it's ECO, doesn't matter if it's margin protection. If you want to protect these bushels and these prices, we're going to have to pay. And I know as farmers are looking at their budgets for next year, input costs are up, you know, everything's going to be up, but we have a lot more risk. So if you like these prices, if you're if you think hey, 511 on corn is going to be the best we're at, I don't think we're going to have a whole lot of savings come spring with an ECO RP. So if you like this price and you're worried about it going down, margin is definitely something to take a hard look at uh, with this time. So enjoyed the conversation today, great guys. It's been great. No, that's great, Ken. And I'll just, I'll just sum your, your statement up there by saying, if you're hoping that prices will be cheaper in the spring and you're right, that means corn's already 450 or 425 or four bucks. So, you know, sometimes it is to nice to grab our price here. And if you're wrong, by picking this price, thinking it might be the best one you get. If you're wrong, that means it's five fifty, six bucks next year. So it is uh, definitely something you should take a, take a hard look at. My last stat for everybody here is 2009, 2012, 2013, and 2014. All four of those years were years in which the margin protection price would have been $5 plus on corn. And in all four of those years, Almost universally across the Midwest, we would have triggered margin protection losses, and we would have triggered big margin protection losses. In 9, 13, and 14, price-related, and 12, yield-related, but all three of the four of those years would have triggered $100, $200, $300 payments for margin protection in those four years, and those were the only four years we were above $5. So with that... Thank you both very much for joining me today. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jake. And thank you, listeners, for again joining the FMH and Surecast. Good luck as we get closer to harvest here. And uh, have a great day. You've been listening to FMH and Surecast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. 
Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.